I'm pulling away driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so recently, I've been talking all about limited edition, or alpha beta, which is limited, and unlimited edition, which are all the same cards, mostly, as I've been talking about. Uh, but anyway, we're going through the cards, and last we left, how far did we get? We got, we got through F, so we're up to G. So, Gauntlet of Might. So this is an artifact, a uh, continuous artifact. Uh, costs four, uh, four mana. Uh, all red creatures get plus one, plus one. All mountains tap for an additional red mana. Uh, now, once again, uh, early alpha, Richard tended to make effects very global. Um, more often than not, like... So, for example, this card rewarded red creatures. Maybe you had them, maybe your opponent had them. Well, obviously you had them because you're playing the card. But, you know... The card might be really, really good against some decks and not as good against other decks because they, too, had red creatures. Um, we definitely moved away from that. Um, not that we don't make effects that affect everybody, but our default is things usually affect your side of the board, uh, and then we opt in. It's not kind of the default. And I think a lot of richer stuff is a little more the default. Um, and that just stand, uh, the reason I think we made the fundamental change is that players tended to assume that their positive effects affected them, and that it's one thing when you do something that is sort of altered the board altogether, like, oh, the rule of the game is somehow different. That feels like it should affect everybody. You know, I, um, you know, normally you do A, but now you do B. Well, that kind of feels like you're changing the environment. That sounds like you affect everybody. But I reward my guys feels more like, you know, it feels more like it's supposed to affect me and not affect everybody. Um, this was... Uh, uh, this is one of my favorite cards back way, way back in the day. Um, I, I actually built a deck with this card to see how much damage I could do in a single game. Um, one of the things I used to do, the Johnny and me, is I used to build decks with a goal in mind, with some purpose in mind. And so the goal of this deck, I mean, I wanted to win, but that wasn't really the point. The goal of this deck is to see how much damage I could do. Um, and I would get out Gauntlet of Mites, and I would get out mana flares, and I would fork things, and I, I would just see how much, when my opponent lost, how much damage had I done. And so really the question of like, in one giant burst, because uh, back in the day, uh, I think at this point in, uh, in early, you know, the early in the day, I think you just lost when you lost, I think. Uh, now it's like you don't lose to the end of phase, but I, I believe for a while early on, just like, if you lost mid-something, you lost. The game was just over. Uh, and now... There's chances to respond, so you don't quite lose quite as immediately as you did once upon a time. Okay. Next is Giant Growth. This is the green boon. Um, so this was, uh, for one green mana, instant, target creature gets plus three, plus three. Um, so Giant Growth and Giant Spider, so let me talk about these two. Giant Spider is three and a green, so four mana, one of which is green. Summon Spider, two, four. It has reach, although that was ridden out at the time. Um, it didn't. It, it said it can block as if it is flying or whatever. The, I didn't write down the actual text of this card. Um, so the reason Giant Growth and Giant Spider are interesting is um, I wrote an article at one point uh, where I took the core set. I think it was like, I don't know, 8th edition or something. And I made an article where I, I, I called Core Set Survivor. So Survivor is a reality show, an American show, um, where people get sent to an island and have to survive and they vote each other off. And then in the end, there's one survivor who's the last person who's not voted off. Um, and so we, 
I had realized that there were certain cards that had been in every core set. And that every time we did a new core set, that list would shrink. You know, early on, right, there were 300 cards or, you know, and then the next set, or actually there were 290 some cards, obviously. Uh, and then the next set, um, revise, when we changed the card pools, like, oh, well, not all the cards made it. Some of the cards got taken out. So that pool would shrink and shrink and shrink. So finally, I forget what set we got down to, but the final two cards in, um, in, in uh, Core Set Survivor were Giant Growth and Giant Spider. Uh, and there was a big question about which one. We were very conscious of it. We decided we could make a conscious effort to, to, that one of them would go. Uh, and in the end, Giant Spider won. No one saw that one coming. Giant Spider actually was a set. Giant Growth didn't get used for a set. Giant Spider got used. Uh, the thing we then did is the next set didn't have Giant Spider in it because we liked the message of um, magic has continuity, but that we can exist without any one card. That magic can exist without, I mean, maybe it needs the basic lands, but, you know, that magic, you know, the standard magic as there's no one card that's always been in standard, and that standard is constantly in flux and changing. And there's definitely cards that have been there a lot, and there's definitely cards that get reprinted that you've seen a lot, but... Um, anyway, so Giant Growth and Giant Spider were the winners there. Um, Giant Growth is definitely uh, one of those cards on the cusp where, in certain environments, Giant Growth can push things a little bit. Uh, I know when Infect was around, there were some concerns of, was Giant Growth a little too good? Um, normally, it's okay. It's, it's the kind of card we will print, but it is of the boons. It's funny, of the boons, uh, Ancestral Recall, clearly, clearly over the line. Uh, Dark Ritual is more than we will normally print. Lightning Bolt is more than we will normally print. Uh, even Giant Growth in the right environment sometimes is a little aggressive. Um, it depends on the environment. It's not that we'll never print Giant Growth, but there are places in which we have to be careful with Giant Growth. Um, healing Salve's problem is more of a... Well, we'll get to Healing Salve in a second. Healing Salve is more of a um, templating thing, meaning it, it's a modal card, and it kind of does a few things that we... If it would just gain life or just prevent damage, it would have been a little cleaner. But anyway, I, I think I get there in a second. Um... Okay, so next is Gloom. Gloom is two and a black for an enchantment. White spells cost three more to cast. Circle protection costs uh, three more to use. Okay, so one of the things Richard did a lot of is what we call color hosers, which is, okay, I'm going to show that this color hates that color by making a card that just punishes you for playing that color. Um, Gloom is pretty famous because it really, really hoses white. It taxes... I'm, I'm sorry, uh... Yeah, it's a black card that taxes white, which is funny because black, um, early magic black did a bunch of taxing. We eventually moved that to white. So this is an ability that hoses white with an ability that really is a white ability in the modern color pie. Um, but it was also pretty brutal because if I, on turn three, if I play this, it costs three extra mana. Even if you went first and you drop land every turn, that means, okay, in your next turn, you can play one drops. Um, and like, uh, you know, Disenchant, which is the card you had to destroy this with, costs five mana because it's two plus three. So, like, if I play this on turn three, you know, if you went first and you drew a land and you had exactly what you needed, you know, in two turns you could dream of getting rid of this. Uh, and, and often, and, you know, in the following turn you can play a second Gloom. You can just shut people out. One of the things that I, happened early on is the color hoses were just a little too loud. Um, I think the thought at the time was Richard liked people diversifying a little bit. And so the idea was, well, if you play an all-white deck, Gloom's going to be really hard to beat. You might want a second color. And I, I think Richard's thought at the time was, 
um, that one of the ways to address dealing with color hosers was to spread out to other colors. And that was another way. The game already, the, the mana system pushes you toward other colors because of functionality. You can't do everything in a singular color. Uh, and I think, in, in, I, I may, I'm, I'm hypothesizing here, I think one thought that Richard was going for is another way to push people in other colors was say, hey, you're very vulnerable if you just play a single color. Um, and, I, and then the color hoses were definitely, I mean, it's something that we continued for a while of making just really powerful color hoses. And eventually what we realized was it just really made it hard to play. It really shut down strategies. It made it almost impossible to play monocolor. And it just, it really cut into a lot of different decks and made it hard to play certain kinds of decks. Um, and in fact, it pushed a very, in the end, it pushed very narrow strategies because you had to be able to beat these things. And so, you know, if you were playing uh, white, you had to have answers to gloom. If you were playing black, you had to have an answer to karma. You had to figure out how to solve that problem. Um, and it was, it was very complicated. It was hard to do. It was, it, in fact, in, in some ways, it did what Richard wanted of diversifying, but it also cut down in archetypes and it made less options available. Okay, next, Goblin King. One red red, summon Goblin King. Goblins in play gain mountain walk and plus one plus one while Goblin King is in play. So this card was later ruled to not be a goblin. It says summon Goblin King. Ironic that we didn't just change it to creature, goblin, king, although it was king. I'm not sure king is supported anymore. It was supported early on. There's some early kings. Um, but anyway, uh, it was later the rule that this wasn't a goblin, although it's counterintuitive to me, to the creative, since it clearly was a goblin in the picture. Um, I think we made a decision that the three lords, or three lords in alpha, um, that none of them, we wanted to be consistent in how they worked. And so... Um, so we ruled that they weren't the creature type they were. It's a little weird because they, in two of the three cases, seemed like they were the creature types that they were the king of. Um, well, we'll get to Lord of Atlantis soon enough. And Lord of Atlantis also really did feel like a merfolk. It's got a picture. It looks like a merfolk. Um, but Goblin King was another... One of the things that Richard definitely did, which is very interesting, is there weren't a lot of goblins in Alpha. You know, Goblin King existed. I think there was Mons Goblin Raiders, which was a single red... 1-1 one, one Goblin, Vanilla Goblin. You know, it didn't, um, didn't do anything. And there's a go- Goblin Balloon Brigade, Goblin Balloon Brigade, which was a red, a 1-1 one, one for a single red mana that you could activate with red to give flying. Not particularly a red ability, but Alpha pushed things a little bit. Um, and then you have Goblin King. So really it had two one-drops. It, it, you know, it didn't really... But what Richard realized, and this is proof of very two, is linear cards, cards that say, hey... You want to do this thing. And remember, when the game first came out, there was no card restrictions. You weren't limited to a certain number of cards. And so, and what Richard wanted to say is, hey, here's a fun card. Hey, you know these goblins that you probably don't have anything else to do with? Well, put a bunch of goblin kings in a deck and a bunch of goblins, and now you have a deck. Um, and so Goblin King was a pretty popular card. In fact, all the lords, all the early lords um, were very popular. Um... That one of the things we, we, we picked up pretty quickly is the popularity of tribal mechanics. Um, and you can see in early magic, there's a little dabbling, little, little you know, the, the, the toe is dipped in the pool. Um, but there's not a lot of support. There's not a lot of goblins. I mean, with the four of restriction, you can't even play a goblin deck really um, till uh, at least a year later. 
You know, this is a while before there's enough goblins that you can, you can in, in a four-of environment, play, you know, all your creatures being goblins and have enough creatures that could possibly make it even have a chance. Um, and even then, remember, you're playing, you know, red one-ones, you know, one-mana one-one. So it, it wasn't even a strong deck, but people really, really liked it, and I think that was very instructional. Um, a lot of what Alpha did is Richard did a lot of sampling. I mean, one of Richard's idea was he wanted a world exploration. So he made lots and lots of cards. Something that Alpha did really well is he made a lot of cards that just pushed in different directions. So you had a lot of different kind of decks you could build. That was, a, I mean, true the core of Magic. Um, but Magic now has, you know, I don't know, 13,000, 14,000 cards. You know, we can take current sets and push more directly in a direction and have those sets add those cards because there's so many cards from the past that you can use that we don't, um, you know, we can dedicate our energies in giving you stuff for the newer strategies knowing that there's lots of stuff for the older strategies out there. Or, or there's a lot of things you can do when you have 13,000 plus cards. Um, but Richard did not. There were 200 and whatever cards. Um, this is what you had to work with. And so he definitely went out of his way to make cards sort of push in different directions. Um, but, the, but the success of Goblin King really was something that put Tribal on the map and really made us think about Tribal. And I know when I pushed the Tribal theme in Onslaught, for example, which is the first set to have a, like a really, really strong Tribal theme, um, a lot of my impetus was watching people play Goblin decks and things like that. Okay, next, Granite Gargoyle. Granite Gargoyle is two and a red, so three mana, one of which is red. Summon Gargoyle, flying. Uh, it's a 2-2, two -two, uh, and it has what we now call Fire Breathing, uh, which is red. For every red mana you spend, you get plus one plus zero until end of turn. Um, now, interesting, in the same set was Grey Ogre, which was also a 2-2 two -two, uh, Summon Ogre, vanilla 2-2. Two -two. So for two and a red mana at common, you can get a 2-2 two -two Ogre. At uh, Granite Cargo, I think, was rare. Uh, at rare, you could get a 2-2 flyer with fire breathing. So one of the things Richard definitely want to introduce is the idea of strictly betters. Um, people sometimes go, oh my god, how, I can't believe you made a card. This card is strictly worse than this other card. And you're like, well, we've been doing that since Alpha. In fact, there was a card in Uncommon called Sedge Troll, which was uh, two and a red for 2-2 two -two that had a black activation um oh no not not, not set troll uh set troll there's like a 2-2 two -two for 2 and a red that you can uh, uh for one black you can um regenerate the creature um is that right is set troll the right mm, I might be naming the wrong card but anyway there was a common in which there was an uncommon strictly better and then a rare strictly better than that uh and I think Richard really was trying to say hey We'll have strictly batters, and Richard did it within the same set with the, you know between rarities. Um, we're a little more cautious about that. We tend not to make strictly batters within the same set. Like if we make a two R two two, then we usually don't make a two R two two just with more abilities. We might make a two R better than a two two, meaning we'll definitely make cards and cards better than cards, but not strictly better. You know, this is a case where other than caring about the creature type, and neither Ogre nor Gargo had any support. Um, it's like it's just a. You know, it, it, it literally just, I'm adding abilities. It's just basically better. Um, and, and while we do that between sets, Richard did it in sets. Sort of, I think he was trying to educate people and saying this is just something that will happen. Speaking of, of vanillas, another very popular vanilla. Oh, Grey Ogre, by the way, is very famous because it became an R... Uh, it cemented in R&D the term for a 2R22. So when we talk in R&D about making a Grey Ogre, 
we mean a 2R22 that usually does something, because um, 2R22 is a little below the curve. Um, and grizzly bear, or actually technically it was grizzly bears, with this plural. So one in a green mana, two mana total, one which is green, summon bears for 2-2. Two two. Um, we also refer to a 1G22, two two uh, you know, one in a green, so one green 2-2 two two as a bear, and a 2R22 two two as a ogre, gray ogre. Um, there's just some certain cards that become iconic, I guess, for purposes of R&D. They're just like, when we're talking about it, like we, we so often do a 1G22 and a 2R22 that we just have words to go, oh, it's one of those, and happen to be the vanilla creatures from Alpha. Uh, grizzly Bear is one of the things I want to point out, because one of my pet peeves of Alpha is it's called Grizzly Bears, plural. There is both one in the art, there's not even multiple in the art, and I don't know if you know anything about Grizzly Bears, but if a 1-1 one, one is kind of a human, like, like a, you know, Benelish hero or some sort of like, I'm a, I'm a hero, I'm a human hero. Okay, I'm trained, I'm, you know, I, I know what I'm doing, um, but I, I'm a 1-1. One, one. And it's like, okay, two humans in the peak of their physical, you know, two humans that are well-versed in the ability to fighting and whatever, two of them cannot take a grizzly bear. I don't know what people know what grizzly bear is, but grizzly bears are pretty tough. So it's funny... We have since, like, I know in Kanzatark here, we made some 4-4 four, four bears. And people were all, oh my goodness, how dare the bears be 4-4? Four, four? Bears are 2-2. Two, two. But it's like, really bears? I mean, I know it, sometimes the power toughness system, you know, it, it, it's not a... There's some odd matchups just because it's not as fine-tuned as a system could be uh, for granularity. But uh, by any stretch of the imagination, if we're actually trying to match what grizzly bears do... Um, they're not 2-2. Two, two. They're more 4-4, four, four, I guess. Okay, Healing Salve. We now get to the white version of the boon. So Healing Salve costs a single white mana, so all the boons cost a single colored mana. And it is the only modal boon. So what it can do is it can either gain you 3 life or prevent 3 damage. Um, I think the reason it was modal is that 1 mana gain 3 life just wasn't particularly good. And so Richard, I think, was just trying to make it a little bit more useful. So the idea was I heal... And, okay, there's a couple different ways to heal. I could take you, you're sick, and I can heal you and get you better. Or you're about to be damaged, and I can heal you right away. Um, healing salve is the weakest of the five boons. Um, it's something that we stopped doing at, at Common, mostly because we didn't like the modal thing at Common being too different. Of, like, we don't mind modal in which, you know, destroy this or destroy that. But it's sort of, it's just two very different effects. Um, and... The effects are related thematically, but I, I, I definitely, it's often caused confusion. Um, that players, for example, will think they're gaining three life. Anyway, they'll confuse things um, in combat sometimes. Okay, next, Hill Giant. Speaking of vanilla creatures, Hill Giant is another creature. Uh, it's funny that they're all uh, very close alphabetically. It's another creature. When we talk about a 3R3-3, we call that a Hill Giant. Uh, and so, Summon Giant. Um, 3R3-3. Uh, it is definitely... Um, it's interesting. Uh, Richard decided to put giants... I guess he put them in a couple different colors, but this was the first giant and it's in red. Um, I, I think we put a lot of giants in red. Just they, uh, they have a nice red sensibility and, yeah, sure, they live in the makes, makes sense. Um, next, continuing our, our vanilla talk here, Herloon Minotaur. One red red, so three mana, two of which is red for a two-three Minotaur. So the interesting story, uh, known as Hurley, uh, he uh, became the unofficial or somewhat official Wizards of the Coast mascot. 
Like, when I first came to Wizards of the Coast, um, there were three jean jackets. Or three t-shirts, sorry. There were three t-shirts that they sold that you could buy that had um, Magic the Gathering art on it. And let's see if I remember them. There was Vesuvian Doppelganger, there was Armageddon Clock, and there was Nightmare, I believe. Those were the three shirts you can buy. But there was a secret fourth shirt that only employees had, and that had a Herloon Minotaur on it, um, which I eventually, eventually when I came to work for Wizards, got. Um, also, at one point, we made jean jackets, Wizards of the Coast jean jackets, black, these black jean jackets. And who was on the back? Herloon Minotaur. Um, the funny thing was, there were people who worked in the company who didn't really play Magic, who, because we had put a lot of energy as a company on it, thought that the players were as fond of it as we were. Because Wizards, I mean, it had a beautiful picture by Anson Maddox. It was very pretty. Um, but it was a weak card. You know, one red red for two, three. And, and Alpha had weak creatures. In the, context, in, in the context of weak creatures that were Alpha, it was weak. Like, it was weak when things were weak, when creatures were weak. Um, and so what happened was that the people in the building who didn't understand magic really had a false sense of what people thought of Hurl and Minotaur. In fact, there was a famous, famous ad that, uh, I don't think, hopefully it didn't run, it might have run, um, where they, it was 5th edition, and they were trying to talk about there's a shakeup in 5th edition. So they had Sarah Angel write a letter to the Hurl and Minotaur, like, Dear Hurley, I have to go do other stuff, but as I, as I leave you behind, hold the fort and fight the good fight or something like that. And I remember in the meeting saying to them, I go, Okay, let me just translate this into player ease for you, how the players will read this. Because uh, Sarah Angel was a much beloved card. So I said, it's, hey, guess what? The card you love, we consider too good. And the card that you, we think you like, that you don't like, that really sucks, is staying. So the card that's good is leaving, and the card that sucks is staying. Like, that's not a really strong message. By this set, the good cards are going, but the bad cards are staying. Anyway, I think I think I think I convinced them to change that ad. I hope I did. Um, okay, next, icy manipulator. Uh, four for a mono artifact. Uh, for one and tap. Although once again, mono it didn't say tap on it, but it did tap. One and tap. Tap uh, a land, a creature, or an artifact. Um, this is one of those cards that, in the day, was a little bit more powerful. Uh, for a couple reasons. One is, there's a rule when magic started that artifacts shut off when tapped. Um, and that caused all sorts... So, there's a card called Winter Orb, for example. Winter Orb said only one land untaps each turn. So, when the Winter Orb was untapped, it would slow people down and really slow down the mana. Like, if you tap to do something, you know, I tap four mana to cast something, well, my next turn, only one mana untaps. So it takes me four turns to get all my, my mana back. So it really, really slows down. It was very good in decks that were controlling and were just trying to slow the pace of your opponent playing things. So Ice Manipulator with Winter Orb is like, oh, what I do is I make it work on your turn, and at the end of your turn I tap it. So for my turn it's shut off, and then all my stuff untaps. Uh, and so Icy in the day was a bit powerful because of the interaction with that rule. Uh, during the 6th edition rules, I lobbied hard to get rid of that rule because R&D was constantly forgetting about it and making broken cards and broken things. Um, also, it's hard to make artifacts when any artifact could be shut off. It really is tricky. Um, so, it, it's funny that, that, that Ice Manipulator... It had uh, this uh, 
flavor early on as being a really powerful card. And in retrospect, you know, it, 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 in the right circumstances, it could be powerful. And definitely in the with this rule I'm talking about, there were decks where you would play like with Winter Orb that was good. Um, but I think it had a little higher. Like you could one of my, one of my themes here about looking back at, at, at the early days is how the general thought of cards was a little warped by the inexperience of the audience, and that there were cards that were really really powerful that players like Black Lotus, which by a modern sensibility is crazy powerful. There were a lot of people who were like, well, yeah, 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 I know, I know it's okay. It's not a bad card, but like you're like, no, it's a great card. Like, no, I would. Wouldn't call it a great card. We have to sacrifice it. You know, you only use it once. Um, it, it's just funny how there's how having inexperienced players, I mean, everybody be inexperienced, just caused some interesting warping of what was considered to be good and bad. Okay, next, illusionary mask. It costs two, and then you can spend X. Oh, it's a. Um, I didn't write this, but it, uh, I believe it's a multi artifact. Um, you can spend X, uh, and then you can cast a card in your hand face down. Uh, as as uh, well, cast a face down, um, and then whenever it assigns or deals damage, you turn it face up, um, and you can only use this ability as a sorcery, so only on your turn. Um, so the idea was, I had to spend X mana. I could put any creature that was X mana or less, a converted mana cost of X or less, from my hand into play. Now originally, it just was unknown. What and the way Illusionary used to mask was it was weird. So let's say I play it. And then I, uh, I cast Terror on it. So Terror destroys target non-black, non-artifact creature. Well, the way it would, uh, back in the day you would play it is you would look at the card and you go, yeah, my creature doesn't die. Not, here's what my creature is. Just my creature. So you're like, oh, okay, I guess it's a black or an artifact creature. Like you would just have to kind of like figure it out because, you know, and, and you're, all the person who owned it would do is just, when you interacted with it, would just have to say, did it do something? You know, if you killed it, go, okay, you killed it. And then I think we went to the graveyard, you see it. Um, but anyway, it caused all sorts of rules headaches because this is an undefined thing. There also was a card called Camouflage that did something similar where you could sort of turn things face down. And so Camouflage and Illusionary Mask needed answers, and they never really worked in the rules. Um, but as I said once again, Richard was very fond of making cards that just did cool, fun, neat things. And as far as he was concerned, People could argue it out at home. When you're playing your games, you know, use common sense. And if a rule issue comes up, we'll figure it out. Um, but as Magic got big and there were tournaments and people were playing cards, you know, we made a rules team decided we wanted the rules to be a little more concrete and a little less fuzzy. And this card was a doozy of a problem. It really played around in space that the game did not normally play around in. But then the rules team came up with a brilliant solution. What if, when a card's face down, we just define it? We define it as something. And then, if any card turns a card face down, well, until it is turned face up, that's the definition of what it was. Because um, this card was really weird in that it did have a power and toughness, just it was undefined, and the opponent didn't know it and couldn't react to it. So, you know, I lightning bolt it. Okay. okay. I guess it doesn't have toughness three or less, or has protection from red. Or has some ability to heal, or, or you know, who knows? Why didn't it die? I don't know why it didn't die. Um, so anyway, for those that are, know their history, uh, the solution to illusionary mask originally was to make a face-down creature a one-one. That was the original solution. 
Um, and then the rules team said, you know, with this technology, we can make a mechanic that allows you to play cards face down. And then using the ability, you could then, at your leisure, spending a certain amount of mana, turn it face up. Yes, this became Morph. This is what led to Morph. Um, I, I told the story during my Onslaught um, podcast. But the real quick version is, uh, the rules team really loved this idea. They went to Bill, and Bill wasn't, Bill wasn't excited by it. They went to Mike Elliott. Mike Elliott wasn't excited by it. So they eventually came to me. I was excited by it. And so what I did was, first off, I worked with them. I convinced them to change it from a 1-1 to 2-2 because I think originally it was like 2 mana for a 1-1, but no one would ever play that or, unless the creature was really, really good. So I convinced them to change it to a 3-mana 2-2. Um, that 2-2 two, two, two had a little more, you know, it was a great ogre, a little more, you know, half uh, to it. Um, and we creatures, remember, were a bit weaker back in the day. Um, and then um, I made a whole bunch of cards and playtested with it. Um, I came up with the idea of having um, revealing triggers, and I, I, I messed around with it, and then I designed a bunch of cards, and then I made a deck, uh, two decks actually, and then I played people with the two decks and just give a chance for people to see it. And if people played more, if they really, really liked it, and um, it ended up going into Onslaught to fill, uh, we, we needed a mechanic, so it filled the gap. Okay, next, Instill Energy. So Instill Energy is a green enchant creature. Um, you, it, uh, you could untap uh, the creature, the enchanted creature, both during untap, so it untapped as normal, and then one other time during your turn. Um, also, the creature that was enchanted by this was allowed to attack the turn it, it, this was played on it. So it had a limited haste. You couldn't use activated abilities. Um, but this is one of the earliest versions of Giving, giving a creature sort of a pseudo-haste. In Alpha, this was the closest it came, I think. There's a creature, there's Nether Shadow that had haste, meaning when it came into play, it could attack the turn it came into play. Um, but even then, um, I mean, it, it had haste. It, 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 it was able to do anything you could do if it had haste. Uh, it doesn't have any tap abilities on it. Um, and I think early haste was mostly thought about you could attack the turn you were played. Later it was like, oh, well, if you had haste, you could tap the turn you played as well. Um... But anyway, Instill Energy was pretty famous for doing a lot of crazy, um, just a lot of crazy combos. Um, I talked earlier, in an earlier podcast, about how um, Ivy and Karina at the World Championships in 95 uh, just used Colossus of Sardia to do crazy, crazy things. Oh, it was Colossus of Sardia. I now realize that I, I think I called it Frex and Colossus. It was Colossus of Sardia. Um, but anyway, it, uh, Instill Energy was part of that thing that allowed him to... Um, the class of Sardi, you have to pay nine mana, I think, to untap it, but still energy lets you untap it for free. And it also lets you attack the turn you play it, and channel allows you to get it out. You know, it's a good combo. Next, JMD, JMD Tome. Four mana, mana artifact for four and tap, draw a card. Uh, so this one, one of the things that Richard did when he made um, Magic was he liked making little Easter eggs about people he knew. Um, and so, uh, if you've ever heard the story, and I told it in the very first uh, of this podcast series, about um, him coming to Seattle to try to sell um, Robo Rally to, um, to Wizards of the Coast, he came with his friend, Mike Davis, uh, who actually is Jay, it, it, Mike's his middle name, so his, his full name is Jay Mike Davis. I don't know what the J stands for. Um, but anyway, so J.M.D. Tome is J. Michael Davis's tome. It was a nod to his friend. Um, there's a bunch of different tomes, by the way. Um, JLM tome was JLM or Joel L. Mick. Uh, we made MSC tome. MSC is Michael Scott Elliott, Mike Elliott. Um, so we've made a bunch of tomes over, over the years that are sort of um, rewarding different R&D folk. 
Um, so anyway, GMD Tome was the first one to do that. This was also a card that uh, I think in the early days uh, there were not tons and tons of ways to repeatedly draw cards, and so this card got used in the early days. Uh, not because it was a great card, but it really was the best card that it did it at the time. Um, and definitely went in control decks early on. Juggernaut 4, Artifact Creature 5-3. Must attack each turn if able, and can't be blocked by walls. Uh, so this is one of those things where you see... Um, Richard definitely enjoyed his trinket text. Uh, that can't be blocked by wall. I mean, it wasn't completely trinket text. There were a decent number of walls, and this was the flavor of, you know, he kind of busts through walls, so... Um, Juggernaut was another very popular early card. Um, unlike some of the other ones like Clockwork Beast, it actually was a little bit more powerful in the early days. Um, creatures were just not quite as good. And four mana for 5-3. Um, the must attack drawback wasn't particularly bad. Most decks wanted to play it. Usually if you wanted to play it, the goal of your deck was attacking every turn. So the drawback wasn't too big a deal. Uh, walls actually did matter because walls were used sometimes in defensive decks. They were the best creatures for defensive. So it actually ended up helping aggressive decks or mid-rangey aggressive decks, obviously it's a four-mana card, um, that wanted to have some issues against control. Um, it also was comboed with Invisibility, which was an enchantment that kept you from being blocked by anything but walls. And so when you put Invisibility on it, like they, they sort of fixed the gap. Like, you know, he can be blocked by anything but walls. Invisibility lets you be blocked by anything but walls. Yeah, I'm sorry. He can be blocked by everything. Only walls can block him. Um, did I say that backwards? I'm sorry. He can't be blocked by walls, and the only thing that can block invisibility is walls, so you combine them, and then all of a sudden you have a creature that's truly unblockable. That was the first truly unblockable creature in Magic, was a Juggernaut with invisibility on it. Okay, so I'm almost at work. So my last card for today is Karma. Uh, I talked about Gloom earlier. Karma was kind of the mirror. I mean, not complete mirror, but it was a white enchantment. It cost two white-white, um, so it was four mana, two of which was white, uh, and it said each... Um, at the beginning of each player's turn, they took one damage for each swamp they had. Um, and so that is pretty vicious. So if you're playing mono-black, let's say you're playing a mono-black deck. So I, you know, turn four, for example, I, I, I've had a swamp every turn. Then my opponent plays Karma. I'm like, okay, now my next turn I take four damage. And I'm going to take four damage every turn. And it's an enchantment. And black doesn't have a lot of answers to enchantments. You know, and now obviously you could drain the opponent. You could try, and there's ways to get life. Black had some life gains, but just that's a beating, losing four life every single turn. Um, and so, anyway, it's a good example of uh, just how the um, the color hoses were just aggressive and stuff at the time. But anyway, um, obviously we'll continue on. I only got to K. Um, hope you guys are enjoying hearing all about Alpha Beta Unlimited. But I'm in my parking space, so we all know what that means that means it's the end of my drive to work. Instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.